So yeah, good morning one more time. My name is Glenn. It's great to be with you. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our series that you see here on the screen, Christ Our Living Hope, that we began last Sunday. And uh, yeah, we, we, we looked at last Sunday, if you remember, and if you haven't remembered it or you didn't hear it, you can go see it online on our YouTube channel or on iTunes podcast. We introduced Peter. Now, some of you might go introduced, right? Like he's an apostle. We know who that guy is. Well, we went back into basically his whole story. And uh, the purpose of that was to learn some things about him to get to the point where he's about 58, 60 years of age, and he's writing this letter to a group of churches in Asia Minor that he's deeply concerned for. And understanding his path and what he's been through helps us a lot, I think, I hope, to understand um, why he was writing this and, and to understand his heart. As I pointed out to last, year, last week, he's not only a capital A apostle, he's a pastor. He's an elder in a local church. He's been part of church planting, and he's writing with that type of heart. And so we learned about the churches in Asia Minor as well that he was writing to and their, t- their context, one in which they were being persecuted, persecuted, gravely persecuted for their obedience to Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue today in verses 3 to 12. We're actually going to take a while to get to them, so I'm going to read them up front for you and then pray one more time and we'll dive in. Peter, after his introduction, praises God. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through the preaching of the good news." To you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look into. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, um, wow, Lord, thank you for this time here this morning. Um, Thank you, Lord, that uh, my brothers and sisters, friends who are here with us today and watching online, have taken this time, given this time, on a beautiful sunny day here, to be with one another, to have fellowship with one another, 
to actually show up for one another, but also to come and praise you. And to also, Holy Spirit, hear from you this morning. So on that note, Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me. Help us to hear you, hear you through the words of Peter and through the words that you've put on my heart to talk about this morning that relate to their context and ours here today. So I pray for your blessings now in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So uh, last Sunday, uh, I answered for you the why question, why we as a church, why I felt compelled to uh, do this particular study in 1 Peter. The primary answer was and is related to the fact that we sense, I sense the need for the same kind of encouragement in our days today as Peter sensed they needed in those days. Hello? (laughs) As a pastor, he felt the churches in Asia Minor needed to hear these things then. Their circumstances, although 2,000 years out, I suggested you last week and I'll say it again this week, were very similar to ours today and in some key ways. But also, we felt it was important for you, for us, to be reminded exactly who we are in Christ as Peter's reminding them of who they are in Christ. And that comes out in our text that we read today demonstrably. Why? I mean, it almost sounds like he's writing like the Apostle Paul in Romans or Ephesians, right? He is. Very theological words, deep theological words. But his reason? You need to hear this. You need to remember who you are. He knows things are going to get much worse. So I'm sure most of you would agree that it would be false advertising. (laughs) Um, If anyone were to suggest something like this about coming to Jesus, right? Sort of an ad that goes, come to Jesus and your life will be filled with uncontrollable joy every moment of every day. There are preachers out there preaching this message. You'll never fear or worry about anything again. Your health will improve. You will get the best jobs. Even your spouse and your kids will turn out great. Okay, okay, I'm getting a little silly here. And on top of all that, everyone who didn't really love you very much before you came to Jesus will really love you now. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, that's not the way Christians since the early days of the church or until today have experienced things, right? They haven't experienced these things. As we learned last week, they weren't dispersed, these uh, uh, Christians into Asia Minor, they weren't dispersed into uh, exile, treated like aliens and persecuted because of their disobedience to God, like the people of Israel had been. No, it was the complete opposite. They were being treated the way they were, told to stay out of the public marketplace, go into your little churches and into your homes and praise your Jesus there, but not in public. Why? Because of their obedience to Jesus and his word. It was quite different. As I prepared for this series, and especially this past week, um, I've been reading a number of different commentators because I, I, I just feel like this is such an important text for today, but... Um, several respected commentators I read said that the challenge that every preacher has today, that I have today, actually that you have today listening to me, 
on a text like this and a story like this that's 2,000 years old is how we might compare or contrast, contrast the sufferings of the early church that they endured with the lack of similar sufferings that we experience in the very tolerant West today. Well, I found it also very encouraging but interesting that a few did, however, suggest this. And one commentator put it this way. He said, I would suggest that, however, today, that our lack of suffering is in part due to the lack of nerve on our part, the church, to challenge our contemporary culture with the message of the cross and to obediently follow Jesus today. I agree with his sentiment, (laughs) and I want to take you there today to help us understand that. Pastor Tim Keller, as most of you know, is one of my favorite guys out there. Um, He said this about the early church in one of his books and in many of his writings and and sermons. He said, the early church was incredibly countercultural, and in three specific ways. Specifically, number one, related to their belief of the sanctity of life. People were chilling, killing, pardon me, in those days, children who had been born, who were deformed, that they didn't want to keep or have. So this speaks to abortion today, right? Number two, sexual morality, countercultural. They were known for it. How? Well, we'll get to that. And thirdly, money. <laughs> they were completely different from the culture, and this riled the culture in that day. Keller writes, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan or Gentile society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. And again, I want to make this point. This riled the culture to the point where it was like, get out of here. Get out of here. We don't want you to be part of our public square. This is part of the way that they were persecuted and dispersed. And so my question to start with today for you is, have you ever been rejected by a friend because of your faith in Jesus Christ? A family member? I've shared with you before when I came to faith in Jesus Christ in Toronto at 23 years of age that some of my best high school buddies that I hung with every week didn't want to talk to me anymore. Since I became a pastor 13 years ago, several of them have unfriended me on Facebook. What about you? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been persecuted, rejected because of your obedience and faith to Jesus not just when you first came to faith in him. I know many stories, many young men that I've discipled over the years who, you know, when they were in university and in dorm life, you know, they come to Jesus through some university ministry, which is awesome. And then the next thing they know, they're no longer invited to dorm parties. They're no no longer invited out to dinner parties. And when they get into the workforce, they're no longer invited into work cohorts. Why? It's a form of rejection. And so listen, you also do realize that the levels to which we are persecuted for our obedience and his word are mild. Are mild, but they're important, as we'll look at today. 
compared to the way Christians are brutalized around the world today. Whether in Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, China, parts of Africa, Christians live in constant fear, and fear, of course, for their very, very lives. This, le- this could lead, I think, some of us to think that we've licked this persecution thing here in Squamish, in Canada, and North America, right? We've licked it. It's a much more tolerant society. I want to disavow you of that. I started noticing a trend a few years ago, six, seven years ago, and I know I started talking about it, and some of you got really annoyed with me. <laughs> and, uh, but I noticed it. And again, it comes from my background of communications and stuff, and I'm watching what's going on on Facebook and Instagram and places like that. There used to be a day I saw seven, eight years ago where I or you or other people would post a Bible verse or a link to a, a Christian website or something that was really encouraging and awesome and, and a blessing and a way of sharing the gospel into our community. And people, you, others, would start liking it and sharing it and all the rest of it. Then I noticed something six or seven years ago. It stopped. It started really quickly. It, it, it started stopping. Not only did I notice that people were no longer liking my posts. Okay, I didn't take it personally. Well, maybe a little. But no, people were backing away from... Because some of you figured out, some of us figured out, you know, when I like a post, or especially if I share a post like that, my friends see it. And so then I started noticing, (laughs) not only were people no longer liking much anymore, but they were actually unfriending or unliking, not only me or other Christians, but churches' websites or Facebook pages. I predicted at the time that it was going to get worse. And some of, some of the people in our church were like, oh, come on, Pastor, Glenn, come on. It's pretty simple. We've just figured out the social media thing, and you haven't yet. Really. Recently, in the last two weeks, I saw an article that really, really grabbed my attention. It made me think about what I wanted to say to you this morning in preparation for this word. The title of the article said, Your Soul or Your Job, You Choose. Your Soul or Your Job, You Choose. The article was about a true story that happened within the last two to three weeks about a man who was a banker, uh, was I think the head of a bank, who then got the job as the CEO of one of Australia's um, Australian rules football. I want to make sure I say it right because I'm... Teams. He became the CEO of the team. He was hired to be the CEO of the team. Within 24 hours, on the job, a hideous scandal broke out about this man. The hideous scandal? Well, two things. After extensive searching of Facebook and other social media profiles, they found out this man was a Christian evangelical who attended a Christian evangelical church and that he was the chairman of their board. It took 24 hours to have the team demand his resignation and for him to leave that post. Two things happened as a result of that. I mean, that's bad enough, but two things happened as a result of that that I I find very concerning. First, um, what happened was they discovered in their search, within 24 hours, they discovered the statement of faith on his church's website. We have one too, by the way. You might want to check it out. 
But that was not that was bad enough. But the worst part was they went back to 2013 and found a sermon by his pastor, or the pastor of the church at that time anyway, about a socially sensitive subject. And they were like, there you go. The premier of the province of Victoria in Australia said this when he was interviewed by the media. He said, what I found on their website and about this church and what they believe is, quote, disgusting, Hateful and nothing but blatant bigotry. Friends, City on the Hill is a loving Anglican Union church. They're simply obedient to Christ and his word. You know what was worse than that, in my opinion? This man, after he had resigned from this post, (laughs) was interviewed by the media. He was getting pressured. You know, I understand but he was being pressured, and, and he said this. He said two things. He says, well, listen, number one, I wasn't there when that sermon was preached. He threw his church and his pastor under the bus. He went on to say, and by the way, I don't necessarily agree with everything the church believes. I'm just on the board because of my financial management background. I would love to be a fly on the wall at that next board meeting. So can I ask an honest question? It's just an honest question. Are you now thinking about cleansing your Facebook feed? (laughs) Your Instagram feed? Have you? Have you left that area partly for those reasons? This is going to get even worse. It's going to get worse. Jobs in the future positions in all kinds of public areas of expertise are not going to get offered to people whom they can find are obedient to Christ and his word in the ways that they think are disgusting and hateful. So friends, what I want to suggest to you today is what this world desperately needs today is an engaged church, a compassionate church, yes, but also this, a confident church. That, I suggest to you, is why Peter writes these words. So let's, uh, let's look now at what Peter has to say. He says and starts off with, look, look at this, this is like an anthem. He starts off with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So after his introduction in the first two verses, reminding them and us that we are chosen exiles by the foreknowledge of God to be his, to be saved, to be sanctified, to be obedient to his son, Jesus Christ, and by the way, listen, where you are living now. The next thing Peter does is, praise God. (laughs) And he's encouraging them to do the same thing, isn't he? Praise God. Many commentators call this uh, first part of verse 3 a doxology. Um, in, In fact, Paul writes words similar to this. It, it's, it's, it's thought that at the beginning of, of a service when the worship leader or the pastor or whatever was leading people into the worship, it would be a doxology, an introduction to worship and praise on that day. And it was a common phrase that would have been said in the churches and they would have heard it before. I agree. That's probably a good reason, but, but he has more of a reason for saying it. This blessing serves to, yes, praise God for choosing us to be his, but also for the many reasons that follow. In this text today, these verses appear in our Bibles 
with commas and periods, but actually in the original language, all, th- all of the verses from 3 to 12 are one run-on sentence. Remember my grade 8 teacher, Mrs. Nevin? She would say, Glenn, don't ever do that. And so we've added commas. And Paul's just like, I mean, Peter, pardon me, he just can't stop. He just rattles it, it just goes. It's fantastic. And so it's, as I said, one long run-on exclamation for us to be blessed by. So the main theme of this passage is really important. From Peter's perspective, if you think about it, the theme is the main reason why you and I are rejected or should be rejected in this world today. What is that theme? Salvation. That's the theme of these verses. Salvation. And so behind most of what I've suggested, all the rejection of Christianity and Christians by extension is related to the dual existence of salvation's meaning, which is this. Number one, it's actually telling people in this world, which I have been told, thankfully, and I agree, you are a sinner and you need a savior. How many people have you met who, 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 when you tell them that, if you have ever, go, well, thank you for telling me that? No. No. I wouldn't recommend just starting out that way, but if you don't get there, you're a sinner and you need a savior. People don't want to hear that. I, I need to say, why, well, wait a second, why, why, can't I, why can't I do this myself? Why can't I show God how good a person I am and let the chips fall where they may? Well, you can try. That's number one. Number two, that this salvation is found in no one else or way but by and through the sacrifice sacrificial death of the Savior, by the way, Jesus Christ. Well, again, that's not popular in our world today, is it? People don't want to hear that. But one way, so everybody else is wrong, you're right, oh yeah, you Christians. They don't want to hear that, but that's salvation. It's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 is of what is of first importance. What is that? That Christ died for your sins. So that's the theme here. For Peter, um, the reason Christians in Asia were suffering was because they had the results of salvation in their lives and their Christian living was now rubbing the sinful culture and society they lived in absolutely the wrong way. That's why we should be rejected. Actually, we shouldn't be, but that's why we are. And if, if you think you're being rejected for other reasons, then I would question that. Those are the reasons, primarily. So from here, following on from this blessing and doxology, look at what Peter blesses the Father for and why they should be so encouraging to them and especially for us today when we do suffer. He goes on to say, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter's praise and blessing of God the Father is because he has, look, he has given us new birth. He has caused us to be born again. Nothing that we have done. He has done this. 
And how has he done this? Well, it's almost like a chain reaction. I had to put all of that up at one time because it's like a chain reaction that, that Peter wants us to see. It, it, first of all, has to do with the mercy of God. The word literally in the original language could mean pity. <laughs> you need a savior because you're a sinner. And by the way, you're being pitied. Oh. It's, it's a loving mercy that's, that's looking at us with compassion and saying, I have to do something. I have to do something. I desperately love them. This mercy is, as I said, honestly a pity that he shows toward us due to our fallen and broken state and our inability to heal or save ourselves. This mercy then causes us to be, causes us to be born again. But again, don't miss the first cause is him. This cascades into us then knowing as the work of the Holy Spirit, light bulb goes on, we now know and we believe, and as a result of that, we possess a living hope. Those words are so unbelievable. Those words are like, this hope that you have, church in Asia Minor, this hope that you have here at Rock Church is alive now. It's supposed to be, and it's supposed to help you live through the trials and afflictions and persecutions that are coming, and your death, which is coming. That comes through, of course, the resurrection of Jesus, which we too will have, and that leads to an inheritance. Now listen, (laughs) you know, I I kept thinking as my mom and dad were, you know, getting older in life, I kept thinking, and some of you might be guilty of the same sin, but I kept thinking that, you know, that house in Toronto is starting to become rather worth a lot of money, you know? And, and one day, you know, I might gain a, an inheritance, a little, a little bit of help anyway along the way. Anybody? Anybody even selfish like me? Okay. It's not a bad thing. Well, it could be. This inheritance is secure. It's waiting for you. It is not gaining interest today. And that makes some of you who, you know, think that, you know, having money in RRSPs and other things is, well, that, that's, the, that's the benefit, right? You know why it's not gaining interest? It can't get any more amazing and bigger than it already is. It's yours. It's mine. Why? Because it's Jesus. <laughs> and it's there. It's be- and listen, everything is being kept in heaven for us. And again, by God's power And you and I are being guarded, even though we don't know it sometimes, even though we continue in our sin and we get frustrated with ourselves. We're being guarded. We're being guarded by the Holy Spirit of God, but also, listen, by angels. The Holy Spirit of God is trying to talk to us, trying to encourage us in these things. Until our salvation is complete in the end of our days or Christ's return. Amen. Is this good news? Is this encouraging? Should Should this cause us to... To walk out of here today and think, okay, wait a second. I need to live my Christian life with a lot more confidence. And maybe a little bit more boldness. Because, Peter goes on, in this you rejoice, though now, 
for a little while anyway, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus' words in this you rejoice could also be translated, in this you have confidence. And again, remember, he's writing to them, knowing that they are suffering. And as I said to you last week, the fig tree, he knows what is coming. In seven or eight years, Nero, who's already insane, is going to completely lose his mind, and he's going to kill thousands and thousands of Christians, including Peter, crucified upside down. Peter knows this. So here he acknowledges the reality of this happening in their lives. He's heard reports. He knows this is happening. And acknowledging it for them and telling them, look, I know, I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering is actually also very comforting. Our pastor cares. And he wants to encourage us. And yet, more encouragement, he want, more than encouragement, he wants them to know that their obedience that has led to various trials serves an important purpose. It's not for naught. It serves a purpose. The, trial God, the trials that God brings your ways and my ways are intended to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence, send us back to the cross, ask for his mercy and grace and, and, and encouragement again and again and again. The fires of our persecution actually are, are sent and given to us to burn away what's called the dross or the waste so that the pure gold can be found. And what's the result? Praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's to be noticed because here's what happens. In that culture, even in that day, that church, by the way, those churches in that day, grew fantastically through their persecutions. We're not. They did. Why? Because despite what the culture, what the, what the world around them was doing to them, the people, many of the people, saw them and went, this is incredible. That takes a lot of faith. And they too believed. It was their testimony of their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter goes on. I love these words. And he says in verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I I read this and I want to suggest to you, this is Peter actually marveling at them a little bit. I mean, think about it. Peter saw Jesus this far away. Peter ate with him. Peter traveled with him. Peter hugged him. Peter probably wept with him. Peter heard his amazing preaching. Peter knew he loved him. He also knew that and saw him crucified, dead, and buried, and risen again. These people hadn't. 
And Peter, Peter's marveling at this going, wow, you know, you're, you're willing to remain obedient and faithful to, to a man you've never actually met physically. You're willing to put up with these trials and persecutions and afflictions. And, and wow. But one of the keys there in that is what he's going to say next. He says this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. He then says in conclusion for our text today, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you. How? Through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels look. So they had developed this faith and trust, yes, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the faithful preaching of the word of God and the gospel to them. Even though they'd not seen... Listen, anyone here physically seen Jesus? Please say no. Well, but you believe in him, right? And you love him, right? Peter wants them to know how privileged they are, actually. They're privileged. The, the, the prophets and the people of old, they, they, they dreamed of this day. They were being persecuted and afflicted, too, for their disobedience, but they dreamt of these days. They just put, like, were like, and, and so Peter's saying, look, guys, you are privileged. And listen, in the church age today, post, past the cross, so are you. And so am I. We're so privileged. That's his message. It's a message of salvation. It's a message of encouragement. And it's a message that, so that they would be confident because the trials are going to get worse. They just are. So in conclusion, I want to leave you with a couple of things. I want to leave you with, number one, a guiding principle, and it is this. Those who live faithful and obedient lives in an unbelieving world, which is where we live, will find opposition to both their ideas and their practices. It is absolutely guaranteed. I remember early on in the life of the church, we had, a, I think, our first missional community group in our home, and I was preaching on persecution and afflictions, right? I don't do it all the time. You guys realize that, right? When we get to it, we have to. And someone in the small group kind of looked at me and went, so, so wait a second. Are you, are you suggesting we should go looking for persecution? Trust me, the tone of their voice was somewhat skeptical. <laughs> and I guess my answer in point was, are you at all? I mean, if you're not, then something's missing. Something is missing if we're not. And so it's guaranteed. We should embrace the reality that we are aliens, that we are exiles. We should embrace that. You know why? This is not your home. It's not my home. I love Squamish. I love the outdoors. I love the things that God has given to us here. But secondly, I want to leave you with this. <laughs> I actually was sitting at the back table on Friday trying to write this conclusion, and I got up and I walked up here and I was walking around and going, I, I know I can't just stop there. I really feel I have to say something. I was like, well, or what? Right? And then it came to me. 
you know, most of you know that we uh, have asked people since um, maybe the first or second year since we planted the church to set their smartphones with an alarm for 10.02 every day. Why? So that we can pray Luke 10.2. Let's put it on screen. The verse says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, this is Jesus that's saying, pray to the Father, pray this prayer. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I pray that every day at 10.02. Even if I'm with someone and my alarm goes off, I stop it. But while they're talking, I'm no longer listening to them. I'm praying. So if you see me glaze off at 10.02 and my phone rings, that's what's happening. But then I was thinking about this on Friday. That prayer has been answered. The prayer has been answered. I've said to many of you before, the, the reality is if you've shown up here at the Rock Church and you've decided this is going to be my church where I'm going to, I'm going to partner with this, this group of crazy people to make Jesus known in Squamish, you're an answer to our prayer. But then I realized there's a problem. There's a problem. I, it hasn't hit me quite as boldly as it hit me on Friday. There's a word in this text that's not happening here, guys. So I think we need to adjust our prayer a little bit. You know what's not happening? Harvest. If you want to come up to our house and see what's left of our harvest for the last two to three weeks in Janice's wonderful permaculture garden, she's been hauling stuff off of that garden for like two, three weeks, like, like tomatoes. Like you wouldn't believe the amount of stuff that's coming off there. We had, we've had uh, our favorite apple tree destroyed by a bear because we couldn't get to all the apples up top. Let me ask, do you, do you, understand, you understand why we've had such a harvest this fall on that property, right? Do you understand why? What happened in April, May when Janice said, we've got to go outside and do something? What happened? Seeds were planted. Guys, we've been here 13 years. You know my background. I, I, I like to do math. <laughs> and I can tell you something. We've grown over the years to approximately 100, 120 people um, with kids and everything all in. And in that period, we were the fastest growing church. Not bragging, but we were. Um, but we've plateaued, church. We have plateaued. Other than new people moving to Squamish or people transferring from other churches, which we don't want, we, we've plateaued. Last time we baptized someone in this church was a long time ago, in my opinion. If you do the math of the, what I would say, four evangelical, maybe five, one is just closed, actually. So four remaining truly evangelical churches that, that preach the word of God in Squamish. Squamish that's grown from 18,500 people when we moved here to approximately 25,000 today. No more people are attending a church service on Sunday morning than 13 years ago. I want to leave you with this challenge. We need seed casters. We need more and more Christians who are unafraid to proclaim the truth, to not just walk silently, apparently the talk, but preach the word of God, proclaim the truth, cast seeds, read the parable, cast it everywhere like Jesus did, the sower, everywhere. Rocky ground. Yes, on the top of the chief. Preach it. We need seed casters. Sign-up sheets are at the back. Pray with me, would you?